Hey you guys, this is the Scripture Study Project, our podcast dedicated to helping you discover the scriptures in a fresh way, invest your mind and heart into your personal study, and connect to God in your everyday life. We are your hosts, Krista and Zach Horton. Thanks for being here, Zach. Well, thanks for having me. (laughs) We are here studying another week in Mosiah. Um, As you have been listening, probably, we split these Mosiah chapters into three blocks last two years ago when we did the Book of Mormon episodes and have been replaying chunks of our episode from those um, to kind of correlate with the Come Follow Me manual. And this last episode is taken from these chapters from Mosiah 18 through 24, which is what we will be studying today. So we're going to do the same thing. We have a little bit, but a little bit of an episode to play, but we've also got a little from the beginning that we want to add and something else to the end that we want to add just to kind of change things up a little bit and maybe make it a little more relevant, though it's, it is still relevant what we said in, in last year's episode. Um, something of an announcement, I guess. This week we have a bonus episode that I recorded with someone that I just think really highly of, and I'm excited for you to hear that. We will be releasing that this Wednesday for kind of just more of an in-depth study. These We've studied a lot of chapters over these past three weeks, and we're going to do an in-depth look into Mosiah 18. So look for that, forward to that coming up this week as well. Zach, what have you got for us? Well, as you already mentioned, this is the final chapter in kind of a three-chapter uh, story in the Book of Mormon. Um, if you have the map that we've been using, it helps uh make this episode make sense or this study make sense. All but three weeks, don't all you All three think? weeks, yeah. Because yeah. this is kind of the episode, or I shouldn't say episode, the chapters that kind of tie all of these pieces together. Yeah, yeah. Just kind of fun to look at the map and know, hey, we're figuring it out. We're coming back together. That's it. So chapter one was about how the people got into bondage in the first place. Zenith leaves the land of Zarahemla. He goes down to the land of Lehi-Nephi to reclaim the land of his inheritance, and he's captured by the Nephites. Um, Chapter 2 was Noah and Abinadi, wicked King Noah and Abinadi, who tries to reclaim the people from bondage by telling them to repent. They won't listen, and so their bondage is extended and intensified. This is chapter 3. How do these trapped people get home? Now, there's two groups of people that are trapped. There's Limhi, who's the son of Noah, and his people. And there's also Alma and his people. If you remember, during Abinadi's preaching, Alma believes him, leaves the land of Lehi-Nephi, takes anyone with him that'll listen. And then we find out in these chapters uh, that there's an escaping group of King Noah's priests, led by a man named Amulon, who will find Alma and his people and with the help of the Lamanites that have allied with him, will put Alma and his people uh, in captivity or in bondage for years. And you'll hear that coming up in the study. But this chapter is all about how people get free. So I want to start with this. As I was studying this time, a word that stood out to me or a, an action, a verb that stood out to me that I um, don't know if I've noticed before. In Mosiah chapter 18, there's this famous baptismal covenant. And one of the things the people covenant to do is, in verse 9, to stand as a witness of God at all times and in all things and in all places that you may be in, even until death. 
Well, at the very end of the story, once they are freed, uh, the Lord tells them, I will ease the burdens which are put upon your shoulders, that even you cannot feel them upon your backs, even while you are in bondage. And this will I do, that you may stand as a witness for me hereafter, and that you may know of a surety that I, the Lord God, do visit my people in their afflictions. That idea of standing up when things are hard captivated me as I studied these chapters. Um, This is back in chapter 18. Not only can we stand, but in verse 29, uh, it mentions that they were to walk uprightly before God. It's not just standing during difficult times. It's standing and being able to move forward. And everything that's going on in the world today, everything that's that seems bent set to try and get us to bow down or buckle under pressures or uh, stress or anxieties or worries, this study could really help you, could really help me, learn how to stand and walk uprightly before God. And so as you listen in to what we recorded two years ago, see if there are some truths that strike you as helpful in your own efforts to stand and walk. And more importantly, as you study these chapters on your own, seek for what can help you stand as a witness of God and walk uprightly before him, uh, even given everything that's going on. All right, so with our study this week, um, this is cheesy, but I noticed on my outline that I have A, B, and C. So here's an A, B, C lesson. The A is, you remember the story of, um, I, I always botched the title, but Alexander and the terrible, horrible, horrible, terrible, no good, very bad day. You said too many horribles. Too many horribles. Basically. But you remember that, right? I love that story. And he wakes up, I think he wakes up with gum in his hair and there's no toy in his cereal box. And I can't remember all the horrible things that happened to him, but it's a whole book of all of the bad things that happen. And it's kind of a depressing book. There's no happy ending. He just goes to bed and the day's done, right? Well, in this last block of scriptures here in this kind of trio of episodes in Mosiah, we have a group of people who experience a no good, terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day, however many that is. Uh, So we're going to start at the end of the lesson. This is Mosiah chapter 24. And if you remember, we kind of teased this last episode. In the middle of Abinadi's teaching, he doesn't know this. I've often viewed Abinadi as kind of the starting domino to the rest of the Book of Mormon. He's unaware that he's the starting domino because he dies thinking that no one listens. But of course, we know that Alma listens Alma is then chased out of the city by Noah and his priests, goes into hiding, and in hiding he teaches a group of people, uh, and they start this church that will eventually become the church in Zarahemla. When they get back, King Mosiah asks Alma to organize the church and set up priests and baptize people, and we've got a church up and running. So Alma's a pretty big domino that that, uh, Abinadi knocks over. So this is Alma and his people, and it's at the very end of their time together before they will return to the land of Zarahemla. This is chapter 24, uh, starting in verse 8. One of the other priests of King Noah is Amulon, who knows Alma because they were both priests of King Noah. Verse 8 says, It came to pass that Amulon began to exercise authority over Alma and his brethren and began to persecute him and cause that his children should persecute their children. And then jumping down a couple of verses in verse 10, it came to pass that so great were the afflictions that they began to cry mightily to God. 
and Amulon commanded them that they should not that they should stop their cries, and he put guards over them to watch them that whosoever should be found calling upon God should be put to death. Now that's a pretty bad day. It's made even worse by this fact. If you look at, if you have the old set of scriptures, you look at the bottom and it gives you the time frame, or if you've got a newer set, then it tells you in the chapter introduction. And it just simply says between 145 and either 120 or 121 BC. Meaning, I don't know where the story picks up and where exactly it ends, but we're looking at not a day and not even months. If it's 145 to 120, we're looking at 25 years. 25 years that these people live in this kind of a condition where they're burdened, they're tasked, they're slaves, and they can't even pray out loud because they'll be put to death. And so if you want a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad 25 years, then here it is. And so our question in this episode is, what do you do when you're in bondage and it's not your fault? Two episodes ago, we talked about what you do when you're in bondage and it is your fault. This time, it's not their fault. They've repented of the wickedness that they did under King Noah's reign. They've built a society on covenants and principles. They're good people struggling for 25 years um, in some really difficult ways. What do you do if that's you? So I have to go along with Zach's alliteration here. If Alexander is the A, then the B is burdens. That burdens can be blessings. And I think as we head into these chapters, we would be remiss if we didn't mention Elder Bednar's talk from April of April 2014. It's called Bear Up Their Burdens with Ease, where he teaches these chapters beautifully. I think probably we should just be reading his talk. I would highly recommend um, going back and studying his talk, but we are going to be quoting from his talk a little bit here. Um, this is the one where he talks about the truck, right? The guy yes. that gets in his truck. So, and, and they've up. made, you know, they made a Mormon message out of it because mm-hmm. it teaches such a powerful message. So the basic gist of the story is that this, his friend finally decides to buy his prized truck and he heads up the mountain to get wood and is really excited about trying out his new truck and he gets stuck up in the snow with his new truck and is feeling pretty dumb about it. And he decides, well... I'm nervous and this is making me feel scared, but I'm going to get out and just cut the firewood like I planned because I have nothing else to do. And sure enough, as he fills up his, if fills up the bed of his truck with the wood, um, he gets back in his car and he's able to drive. And so to quote Elder Bednar here, he said, it was the load that enabled him to return to his family and his, and his home. Each of us also carries a load. Our individual load is comprised of demands and opportunities, obligations and privileges, afflictions and blessings, and options and constraints. Two guiding questions can be helpful as we periodically and prayerfully assess our load. Is the load I am carrying producing the spiritual traction that will enable me to press forward with faith in Christ on the straight and narrow path and avoid getting stuck? And two, is the load I am carrying creating sufficient spiritual traction so I ultimately can return home to Heavenly Father? So the thing I hadn't noticed until this study of this talk was the beginning of that quote where he says that our load is comprised of these things, Mm. demands and opportunities, obligations and privileges, afflictions and blessings and options and constraints. So it's not just the bad things that we're going through. It's anything that puts responsibility on us. So often that's what we think, right? And they're in bondage. So that's the example we're using here from these chapters, but to really analyze what our load is, mm-hmm. that it can be 
the opportunities, the privileges, and the blessings well, of I, our lives. And I even look at that. I mean, the idea that we should periodically and prayerfully assess our load is kind of a new, exciting idea. I don't know if I've ever sat down and assessed my load and asked, is it providing enough spiritual traction? Is my load heavy enough to make sure that I'm growing? But is it also light enough that I'm not buried in the snow and that I can actually move? This So in Mosiah 24, one of my favorite parts of this story is the principle that's taught, I think somewhat subtly, but importantly, uh, starting in verse 13. So Amulon puts all of these burdens or loads, responsibilities, um, tasks on the shoulders of Alma and his people. In verse 13, it came to pass that the voice of the Lord came to them in their afflictions, saying, Lift up your heads and be of good comfort, for I know of the covenant which you have made unto me, and I will covenant with my people and deliver them out of bondage. Now, we'll talk about covenants in a second. Listen to verse 14. And I will also ease the burdens which are put upon your shoulders, that even you cannot feel them upon your backs, even while you are in bondage. And this will I do, that you may stand as a witness of me hereafter that you may know of a surety that I, the Lord God, do visit my people in their afflictions, which is great news. I'm going to relieve the burdens that are on your backs. I'll make them so light that you won't even be able to feel them, which means that you will then be able to stand as a witness of me. But how God does that is interesting. In verse 15, and now it came to pass that the burdens which were laid upon Alma and his brethren were made light. And then this important word in the scriptures, the word yea, Y-E-A, is almost always a clarifying word. It means it takes whatever comes before it and explains it with whatever comes after it. So I will ease the burdens that were, or the burdens were eased which were laid upon Alma and his brethren. Yea, or explanation, the Lord did strengthen them that they could bear up their burdens with ease. And they did submit cheerfully and with patience to all the will of the Lord. In other words, God did not actually remove burdens from their shoulders. He didn't actually lighten the burden. What he did was to strengthen the backs of the burden bearers. And I think that's exactly what Elder Bednar's teaching, right? Well, he has this, I'll read another quick quote here from him that explains this a little deeper. But Alma and his followers were strengthened, and their increased capacity made the burdens lighter. These good people were empowered through the atonement to act as agents and impact their circumstances. And in the strength of the Lord, Alma and his people were directed to safety in the land of Zarahemla. So they are strengthened, and then they're freed. But not the other way around. They're not freed and then strengthened. They have to have the burdens in order for God to strengthen them. They don't need strengthening without burdens. You don't need to be stronger if you don't have a reason to be stronger. Well, in this sentence, he says here that basically that they were empowered. God empowered them to be able to get through their trial, to carry the load that they had to carry. And, and it was him. And then once they're strengthened, then, then he frees them. Yeah. So A was Alexander. B, burdens can be blessings. <laughs> C is this word that comes up that we read in verse 13, covenants. And I know that's a very commonly used word uh, in modern Mormon parlance, but I don't know if we quite understand it, or at least I didn't understand it until I really dug into the definition of what a covenant is. So back in chapter 18, this is the covenant chapter. So this is before Alma and his people are loaded up with burdens. This is when they're in the wilderness, before they get to the land of Helam, they make this great 
baptismal covenant, and then 450 people are baptized. It's a wonderful chapter and beautiful. The word covenant means, based on its Hebrew roots and even some Greek roots, the word covenant means to bind or clasp or fetter, which means to tie together two things. So to covenant with something means to tie myself to something or more appropriately to someone. And so listen to who these people are tying themselves to in chapter 18 and what it is that they're promising. Verse eight, this is Alma speaking to his people right before they're baptized. And it came to pass that he said unto them, Behold, here are the waters of Mormon, for thus they were called. And now, as ye are desirous to come into the fold of God and be called his people. So there's the first covenant. They are tying themselves to God. And it gives this beautiful image of if I'm standing next to the Savior, I'm tying my arm to his. Which means from here on out, wherever I go, he goes. I love to teach this at baptisms to help uh, these young children understand what it is that they're doing when they get baptized. It's not, we always talk about baptism for the remission of sins. Well, they're eight years old. They haven't sinned anything really yet. It's not to wash away their sins. It's not about what they have done that makes the baptism so important. It's about what they're going to do, right? They're tying themselves to the Savior so that wherever they go, he will go. And more importantly, wherever he goes, they will go. And maybe even to take it a little bit further, in a recent study, something that we heard about the priesthood and thinking about the priesthood as this power of God, that you're really, with the restoration of the priesthood, we're really linking ourselves to God's mm. power in this empowering way. Yeah. <laughs> power, yeah. I guess. But that it's not just, we, he's giving us access to his yeah. great power, you're... which just is a little bit exciting. No wonder they were clapping their hands with joy when they made these covenants because that understanding that God is ready to open access to his power and through the proper authority of the priesthood that we have that. Yeah. So that's the first covenant that they make is with God. The second though is in the rest of verse eight. So willing to come into his fold and be called his people and are willing to bear one another's burdens to bear one another's burdens that you may be that they may be light yea and are willing to mourn with those that mourn and comfort those that stand in need of comfort boy if you have been paying attention the last couple of weeks the church has been ablaze with ministry i know in our ward it's been that way it seems like every sacrament meeting someone's talking about it we just had our elders quorum presidency sustained and set apart today and everyone is talking about this ministering this kind of firing idea and i think that's the covenant that these people make at the waters of mormon they are covenanting to bear one another's burdens and to minister to each other and so what we thought we'd do is just throw out some quotes and verses that mean ministering to us. As we read these, we came just a, but across a bunch of individual verses and even a couple more quotes from Elder Bednar and from others that just mean ministering. And so here we go. I already mentioned this, but that verse right after that we all know, willing to mourn with those that mourn, comfort those that stand in need and comfort, here they are making this covenant to minister to other people and they clapped their hands for joy and exclaimed, this is the desire of our hearts. They were so excited mm -hmm. to make this covenant and to be ready to 
serve God and serve serve those around them. I think, I think it's fun to think of it that way. It's like, yes, and maybe that's how a lot of people felt. I don't know why in a lot of ways, like it's very similar to visiting teaching in the past, but maybe it, it feels a little more free, mm-hmm. freeing maybe. So people have feel that power that they don't feel as constrained maybe. Yeah. And they get to just minister and you be guided by the spirit. seems like a lot of people are excited that now that there's no box to check, now I can really serve and lift and help the way that I've wanted to all along. The verses I really liked is verses 21 and 22 in chapter 18. He commanded them that there should be no contention one with another, but that they should look forward with one eye, having one faith and one baptism. And then this is the line I loved, having their hearts knit together in unity and in love one towards another. And thus he commanded them to preach, and thus they became the children of God. And I love the idea that we're becoming children of God when we knit our hearts together in love and unity. I had an experience. It was over Christmas, so it was during Light the World. I guess I should say we have had this experience. Um, I We had gotten home from, oh, we had we were coming home from our cabin, mm-hmm. and we, what, our car died. We were, yeah. anyway, it was, we were trying to get to our ward party. Kids were ornery. We were dirty from the mountains. The battery wouldn't start. I mean, it was a horrible night. We were just going to ditch the party. We yeah. were going to go home. We were tired and exhausted. We were going to ditch the ward party. And hate to say it, but we were like, well, there's food there. So maybe we just go. Yeah. But I was kind of like, I was in a hat, didn't want it to see anyone. And I just walked in that room and had people like so kind. There were people there that cared that I was there and I couldn't help but um, think of this scripture that, because it was like the world and it was a couple, a couple days were these scriptures from Matthew 25. For I was unhungered and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger and ye took me in. Naked and ye clothed me. I was sick and ye visited me. I was in prison and ye came unto me. Now, many of our neighbors are not going to be hungry, even though I was hungry that night. <laughs> I, I I think of these times when I've really been um, strengthened, um, maybe given water in a spiritual sense by women bearing their testimony, by raising their hand in a class and giving an answer to my heart. Many of these people, we don't know their, phys- you know, their physical needs may be met, but we don't know the, the yearnings of their heart that maybe they need. I remember specific, I mean, I'm thinking of a few sisters in my ward that they don't even know it. I should probably tell them, but that they've said things that have really fed me and um, visited me in those ways that were spiritual ways. And those are the moments where I think true ministry comes to fruition is when we're searching for those moments to say, God, guide me, give me thy spirit so I can, so I can serve. We are back in 2020, back in the pandemic of 2020. (laughs) Um, When we recorded that episode two years ago, ministering had just come out. The change from visiting, teaching, and home teaching had just turned to ministering. We spent a lot of that last episode talking about how that was part of that covenant. And I think for us, it was really relevant and really important for all of us to think about this new change in ministering. We're always asked to bear one another's burdens and mourn with those that mourn. Um, And that is part of what we covenant to. But isn't it cool to think about two years later, here we are in this pandemic where we aren't able to go to church, where the real 
discipleship that we're showing right now is through our ministering efforts, these one-on-one efforts that we're really only able to give because we can't gather in groups anyway. And the importance that that has as we make covenants with um, Heavenly Father. So although we cut out a little bit of all that we talked about at ministering because we were really excited about it, um, I think that's still very applicable today, even though it may not be as fresh as it was then. Yeah. And... We're excited because guess what? Zach thought of a D two years later. We had A, B, C, and now two years later, here he is with a D that just felt like something that fit in perfectly to kind of end out this episode. Well, apologies for making a lame alphabet uh, episode, but... It's pretty good when you can do it A, B, C, D. And D. Yeah, that's Like that's starting at level. the beginning of alphabet, that's, that's intense. Well, the D I found is so obvious that I'm surprised we didn't talk about it two years ago because the whole point of the story was meant to prove one point. In fact, um, Mormon even explains as much. This is Mosiah 23, 23, one of my favorite verses in the whole story. He says, this is in the middle of Alma and his people in bondage to Amulon and his people, and they're in bondage for years and years and years. And Mormon, the narrator, says this, for behold, I will show unto you that they were brought into bondage, and none could deliver them but the Lord their God, yea, even the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And it came to pass, he did deliver them. Um, Down in verse 27, commanded that they should remember the Lord their God, and he would deliver them. And then um, that word deliver shows up all over the place. Um, Chapter 24, verse 13, the Lord says, I will covenant with my people and deliver them out of bondage. Down in verse 16, uh, be of good comfort for on the morrow, I will deliver you out of bondage. And then when everyone gets back home, King Mosiah causes all of these records to be read, the record of Zenith um, and the record of Alma and his people. The people are filled with, in verse 7, wonder and amazement and joy in verse 8, their sorrow They're uh, amazed at the immediate goodness of God. And then in verse 16, well, verse 15, Mosiah asks Alma to go around and start to establish churches. And the thing Alma wants these people to understand is this, verse 15. Alma did speak unto them when they were assembled together in large bodies. And he went from one body to another, preaching unto the people repentance and faith on the Lord. And he did exhort the people of Limhi and his brethren and all those that had been delivered out of bondage that they should remember that it was the Lord that did deliver them. Now, I know that's chapter 25 from next week's episode, but it's so powerful a point that uh, I had to mention it. Mormon, at least, in telling you the story, uh, has on his mind this key point, which is, I want to show you that it is only God that can fully deliver you from bondage. Whether that bondage comes from your own sins, like Limhi and his people, or whether it comes because of the sins of others, like Alma and his people, or whether it comes from the environment and the situation that you live in, like we're going through today, no matter where your bondage comes from, it is only God that can truly deliver you. And I can speak to this because I try so often in my life to try and deliver myself. I try and be the answer. 
and it doesn't work, it always falls short, or it doesn't complete uh, completely deliver me or deliver those that I want to help, um, and I wish I didn't have to keep learning the lesson, but I do, that it is only the Lord that can deliver us fully from our different bondages. And I don't think you're the only one that has to relearn that lesson. As I kind of reflect back on um, the study that we have had, all of these people and the time warps and all the time hops that we've seen through these chapters, we're seeing this deliverance and kind of this sigh of relief for me because it's confusing to keep track of everyone and everything going on, but also to recognize that we're not alone, whether it's our individual battles Um, we're feeling tossed and turned and maybe even going through personal time warps that he's with us and he sees the end and he's going to bear up our burdens with ease and he's going to help us make it to the end just like he helped these people. Um, And I'm, I'm taking a look at this map from above thinking, wow, we made it through all of that stuff. And here we are um, seeing the end and the blessings that these people have had. And I think that it's the same for us today. So thank you for studying with us. We hope that Mosiah 25 becomes a real thing for all of us pretty soon. Um, But until then, remember the Lord can and does and is delivering us. Uh, Have a wonderful study on your own, and we will see you next week.